0: Welcome to the Minority Marketplace, an economic news segment brought to you by the Minority Info Network. I'm your host Michael Bailey and I'm thrilled to have you joining me for this episode. In the world of finance, where profit margins and percentage points often dictate agendas and priorities, there are those rare moments when a leader emerges challenging norms and redefining purpose, such as the case of Dominic Mirata, Known as Dom to his friends, he is the president and CEO of Optus Bank. He, in a recent interview, I had the privilege of peeling back the layers of Dom's story, and what unfolded was a narrative of passion, transformation, and an unwavering commitment to closing the wealth gap through mission driven banking. Whether you're plugging in your headphones, or popping in your earbuds, or downloading this audio, get ready for an episode filled with informative insights and powerful perspectives. Dom, how are you doing this morning?
1: Great. Thank you for being here.
0: Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. Uh, Optus Bank is doing a lot of great things uh, in South Carolina. Um, and want to start by those who don't know you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I'm, I'm definitely an odd uh, fit for, for the bank in, in some ways, uh, but um, I have uh, a story that will make sense, uh, it will connect the dots for you why I'm doing what I'm doing at Optus Bank, but I was born in Czechoslovakia, uh, which is now Slovakia, and I came to the United States when I was 16 years old, really hoping to pursue the American dream and truly live, live that dream. I'll admit, I'm definitely living the dream in some ways, except I know that it's a nightmare for a lot of folks in America. And that's where the mission of Optus Bank comes in, which is I really decided early on in my life when I became aware of some of the disparities and really lack of opportunity for certain people in in the United States to uh, really wanted to find a way to Live my life according to my values and our family mission statement, uh, which is focused on ensuring that every person in America has a chance to live a healthy and productive life. And so, everything we do, my wife and I, uh, it, we try to align our personal, professional lives to be productive—not uh, just economically productive, but also want to make sure that spiritually we are doing what we are called to do. And. The mission of Optus Bank is to close gaps that exist in our communities because of systemic disparities or other disadvantages that the community we serve face. Um, So we're fortunate, I feel very fortunate, to be at Optus Bank because I get to do what I really feel like I'm called to do, uh, which is both uh, economic development, it's creating economic opportunities for people, but really finding ways to create new opportunities for people that have been abandoned by traditional financial system and allowing them to scale the ladder. That ladder that defines the American dream, right? It's the upward mobility that most Americans sadly don't really have a a good chance to climb uh, today and the numbers show it. Uh, So it's a perfect alignment. Optus Bank is a perfect alignment and the mission of Optus Bank is a perfect alignment with my own personal values and goals.
0: Okay, tell me a little bit when uh, Paul approached you. Uh, how did that union come to be?
1: <laughs> well, it was it's a great it's a great story. Um, let me just first say, uh, part of the I guess tremendous gift uh, I feel I've been given in life is that I get to meet people like Paul, that also invested sacrificially to do something productive for their community Um, did it with the goal of creating economic value but really did it also because they believed in the purpose of mission-driven banks black-owned banks community development banks so I met Paul at a um, MDI and CDFI conference mission-driven bank conference Uh, minority depository institution and Community Development Financial Institution Conference in early 2017 maybe or maybe in 2016 even and at that time I was looking for a bank to either acquire or or invest in Um, I was in the 12th year of my career at a previous bank community development bank a wonderful great story for the world, really, to have uh, that kind of bank. But i had been there for 12 years and I really wanted to see if I could uh, build a different kind of institution. And so I met Paul and, and his business partner, Kenny, at this conference, and they were looking for a president and CEO to run, at that time, South Carolina Community Bank. And a lot of my friends and in my circle, in the community development space, space, we're running mission-driven banks, minority-owned banks. And I've been talking to a lot of them about what I wanted to do with my life as a next step in my career. And some of them approached Paul, hey, you should talk to Dom. He's, he may be a, a good fit for you for what you're looking to do. Um, and I've, I vividly remember the first interaction. I met Paul and Kenny at this reception. and. You know, he gave me his card and it was South Coast Paper. It was his business um, card. And um, so I looked up South Coast Paper and read about the great story of what Paul and Kenny have done with this minority-owned paper company and how successful it was. Uh, And then, you know, he approached me, "Would would you wanna talk to us about running the bank? And I said, really, I'm not interested in working for someone, I just, I wanna have my own bank. And then we ended up negotiating over a period of really weeks and months um, an opportunity for me to both become an investor and also CEO because it was really important for me. And I think it became important to him that the person in charge of this really amazing legacy for not just the black community, but really for America is someone who is values aligned, but also has got economic interests that are aligned and that was I think for both of us that became a a critical aspect that we were both aligned in the goal for the bank both economically and also really values aligned what we wanted the bank to see do for the community that we cared about Uh, it was a perfect fit in terms of working with other entrepreneurs like Paul and the rest of the board that sacrificial investor to save the bank from a, a just about certain demise post, post the great recession and then with my goals and my ability to both invest financial resources but also invest my human capital, everything I could give it, um, I've given it.
0: Okay, thank you for that wonderful story. Um, before we go into uh, the growth of the bank. You mentioned a community development bank. Tell me the difference between a regular bank and a community
1: development bank. Great question. Um, So it's interesting. I'll show you the story. So I just came back last night from that same conference where I met Paul and Kenny six or seven years ago. Uh, It was taking place in in, in Dallas and that conference is for community development banks and mission-driven banks. And they're supported, and it's organized by the regulators, by the FDIC, OCC, and the Federal Reserve. They bring the large banks together and the regional banks together, and they bring the community development banks. So the, the core difference between community development banks is that their primary purpose is to create community wealth. They, they exist to create community wealth. They don't exist to create wealth for their shareholders only if you would, they're double bottom-line institutions. They could do the same thing. They look like banks, they look very traditional, but um, most of their activities, most of their loans and investments that they make in the community have to be serving communities that have been abandoned by traditional financial institutions or have not been served by traditional financial institutions. So they have an explicit purpose. So if you would, they're purpose-driven. Minority banks... Are not necessarily mission driven, right? The way that the regulators define mission driven banks or or minority depositories is that majority of their ownership or majority of their board and the community that they serve has to be one or more of the minority groups. That doesn't necessarily mean they're mission driven, right? (laughs) However, most of them are, right? Because most of them believe that they have an obligation to serve their community with everything they can to lift them up. And because of the nature of the board and the composition of their board and their team and their shareholders frequently, it it is more natural and it's a better fit for them to serve that community that they know, which happens to be a minority community. Okay, thank you for Does that. Does it make sense?
0: It makes sense. I'm fully educated now. Okay. Um, now that you submit, I said that, when you uh, joined the bank, the bank was in not doing well. Um, under your tenure and your leadership, you grew the bank assets from 47 million to over 400 million. Could you tell me a little bit about that and the significance and the
1: impact that has on the community? Yeah. Well, one, first, I didn't grow the bank. We grew the bank, okay. right? um, I was definitely a catalyst, but I had a pretty good foundation. Right? Paul and the rest of the board really stabilized that bank in, in a way uh, that that positioned us to grow exponentially. They built a lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the governance, and, and they really did a wonderful job preserving that asset and cleaning up some of the bad loans. Right? The, 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 the assets that were weighing the bank down, uh, Paul and the, the rest of the team did a very good job getting them under control, either selling them off or cleaning them up or getting them to perform again. So so I had a great start, I had a great start, but the bank was definitely in trouble. Uh, we had two, two or three major um, kind of milestones or key milestones, so the bank was considered a troubled institution by the regulators, and it's really hard to grow a bank when it's determined deemed to be troubled. So the first thing that we did is the board and me and my family, we recapitalized or added additional capital to the banks a balance sheet, meaning that we invested, we bought shares in the bank. And so um, I joined the, the board and we together basically went around the boardroom table and said, okay, who can invest capital so we can get all the ratios to be sufficient that the regulators deemed, in this case, the state of South Carolina and the FDIC, that they deemed that our bank was safe and sound. They could operate, they could pay its bills and that had ability to absorb losses from any loans. So that was step number one. Step number two was to generate liquidity or deposits that you can make loans and then on those loans you make money and that money gets revolved back into your capital base. So we, again, that's very difficult to do when you have a very small bank because all you can do is very, very small loans. And those small loans are more difficult to make. Frequently, they do have a higher risk profile. Occasionally, and so we had to grow the bank so we could save the bank, and and that's was the the um, that's how we started. And the first milestone was within a year or so we were able to uh, get the bank designated as a safe and sound bank, essentially remove the troubled condition. Then the next point was that that enabled us to apply for funding from various philanthropic sources from other sources that saw the value of the bank. That brought us to the second milestone. We had about 100 million in assets before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and that's a big milestone. right? Going from 47 million to 100 million, you now have some ability to hire more people, you have ability to make bigger loans, so it kind of liberates the bank to do what it's designed to do, but it's still a tiny, tiny bank. Then we had the great misfortune. Uh, of the murder of George Floyd. But what that event um, caused is an awakening, is awareness of disparities that exist in America. And it really shortened my pitch to potential investors from minutes or hours to a few seconds, because they were not aware the role of minority banks. They became more aware of the role of community banks. And so, so the ability for us to generate outside capital into our communities uh, became a little easier. I'm not saying it's still not easy, but the awareness about the disparities that was sparked by the murder of George Floyd really became um, a movement. And and part of that movement is we've grown from 100 million to 200 million to 300 million to 400 million. Now we're almost 500 million. Okay. And, and that success begets success. So people see what we're doing, we're deploying capital into communities, we're doing it productively, we're not losing very much money on loans, we're generating good solid earnings, we're hiring more people, we're providing opportunities for our customers to have better service for our employees to have better upward mobility, to learn more. Uh, we've hired an amazing diverse team of leaders from all backgrounds, all walks of life that now have an opportunity to become bankers or to really thrive in their banking career. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that flywheel effect, every year you have a positive return, every year you grow, it leads to more opportunities and that's, we've been able to jumpstart that flywheel.
0: Okay, that's impressive. Um, talk to me about, you guys, you write the ship everything's great then the pandemic hit but after the pandemic you guys were able to weather the storm and you were able to partner uh, with South uh, South Carolina MBDA Business Center and that helped not only you guys but also the community tremendously tell me a little about, about about that collaboration
1: yeah well we were fortunate to partner with the Minority Business Development Agency the South Carolina Center and Diane Sumter, which is operated by DISA. Um, I think that partnership started before the pandemic actually. And uh, I was introduced to Diane, actually Paul introduced me to Diane and thought we could definitely use the help, right? Uh, I also wanna add to something, uh, just look, it, it is a wonderful story. This bank is a wonderful story. It's now 102, three-year-old story. It had some bumps in the road. But I want to also acknowledge, we're building on the legacy and success of the visionary African-Americans that started this bank in 1921. Right. Victory Savings Bank. It was Victory Savings Bank, and you had the, the, the legendary families, most of them are still around. Um, the, the Levy and the Monteith family, Majeska Simpkins was one of our uh, early uh, leaders at, at the bank. So that, that legacy really adds fuel to our team, right? It mobilizes our team because they're proud to be part of that legacy. But things are not just great, right? There are always bumps in the road. We're facing several right now. Thankfully, the bank is very strong, profitable, successful, growing. So we're able to absorb those shocks. But when the bank is vulnerable and small and you have a couple of those shocks like we had in 2008 and 9 it causes traumatic challenges versus now we can withstand it. So I just want to make sure, you know, that hey, th- th- things are relatively great. We're very proud of it, but we must acknowledge we're, we're on a long journey. This is not a five or 10 year journey. This journey started in the early 1900s and hopefully will continue, you know, for, for a long time. And on that journey, uh, Diane Sumter appears multiple times on that journey, right? She started as an early investor in 1999, so she knew about the bank. And was connected was one of our shareholders, and then she reconnected in 2018 or 19 after I joined the bank and she um, reconnected with Paul and then joined us. And I would say that's one of the key milestones that, that the uh, MBDA helped us with. Uh, First and foremost, when we were in the middle of a pandemic, we were about 900 million in assets, 90 to million in assets, and the PPP program came around. And keep in mind, at that time, we may have had 500 loans on our books. That was it. We did over 1,300 PPP loans within a year after that. But we couldn't have done it with our team. At that time, we may have had 25, 30 employees. Mm-hmm that was a tremendous burden. All of us were working, including Paul. <laughs> All of us were processing PPP loans. We were getting calls from customers. We were trying to process them. We were trying to build the technology. Our team built an amazing technology uh, platform that allowed us to scale. But um, that's where the MBDA comes in. They not only referred minority businesses to us that needed help, but they helped us process the applications. They provided the technical assistance to those businesses. When they came to us, they were ready they had their paperwork they knew what they were doing we did multiple webinars with them so that that wonderful partnership with diane and her team started you know around the time of the pandemic but it really cemented in my mind the critical role that those centers that mbda operates play in our communities not just for minority businesses by the way I want to be real clear on that. Mm. They provide the economic floor for all the communities in America because they support these minority businesses and other businesses, right? Because it's all part of an ecosystem. And if we can support the most vulnerable businesses, we're generating economic opportunities for everyone further up the chain. And that's what uh, I saw firsthand, uh, just the support we received from Diane and her team really put us on a path of success subsequently that partnership has grown as the bank continued to grow we needed more capital we basically we generate liquidity and deposits from all over the country we loan it out in our local communities communities that are more vulnerable historically abandoned or underserved so diane and her team have been incredibly helpful since then to now that that flywheel effect has started to really work Every time we're able to generate more loans, we need more liquidity. We need more capital. And so they've been very instrumental helping us build that um, build that kind of practice where we're able to generate those additional resources.
0: Okay, fascinating. In many Optimist uh, banks, the marketing advertisement, you've mentioned it several times here, you, got, you guys focus on closing the wealth gap. Can you give me uh, specific initiatives or products that you use to do that?
1: Yes, so if I can go back just to connect the dots for you, kind of the mission of the bank, right? In 1921, you had these visionary leaders who understood that at that time, really, if you were a person of color, you couldn't walk into a traditional bank. And they also understood that entrepreneurship and home ownership and ability to transact money safely and quickly was critical to creating that generational wealth that really built America. Mm-hmm. And we know where the generational wealth was built 400 right. years ago. Yes. Right? And we know who built that wealth. Right. And so now the community that was built that wealth uh, didn't generate any of that wealth for their families. So these leaders saw that, that we needed to have a bank that serves that. Unfortunately, that same dynamic is manifested today. It may be a little bit better in some ways, but the same challenge is and what our founders understood and what our board um, and the rest of the team understands is that if we're going to create broad-based economic prosperity for all people in America, we cannot abandon a group of folk that simply didn't have the advantages that many of us had. So that's our theory of change. Our theory of change is we need to create economic wealth, we need to create economic opportunities. Entrepreneurship historically has been the greatest driver of closing the racial wealth gap, even more so than home ownership in many cases. Right. So that's where the core mission of the bank is, is. We're focused on closing the racial wealth gap and closing other gaps that exist in our communities, but our primary tool that we see as the, the, the best way for a bank, for a bank like us, to positively impact the community is to support entrepreneurs, support entrepreneurs that we define as high potential and underestimated. People that have high potential to succeed, have the human capital, have the talent, have the ability to create business, but they're underestimated for various reasons. Could be systemic reasons, could be the color of their skin, could be the zip code they came from, could be the the school that they went to could be things that are beyond their control that they had no control over growing up in America, but here they are. They are underestimated by most traditional institutions because of various of those reasons. That's our target market. So how do we close that gap? We look for those high potential underestimated businesses and individuals that want to succeed, that have the grit, that have the energy, that have the talent. What they need is capital. What they need is both human capital, social capital, and financial capital. How do we do that? So, social capital and human capital. Social capital is relationships. A lot of our customers come to us, and they, they're not just coming asking for money. They need help. Right? They need to connect with potential vendors or suppliers. They want to connect with other customers that could buy from them. And as a mission-driven bank we try to be helpful. So we get a lot of requests for, for funding only to find out it's not just the funding that the entrepreneur needs. They need that social capital. That's when Diane and her team come in. Right? We can connect them with other technical assistance in addition to what we can provide. Of course, we provide the financial capital. Right, Sometimes it's the human capital that they need. They come in and um, a lot of the entrepreneurs, they're busy running their businesses they may not have good financial reporting in place. So they don't even know exactly precisely how their business is doing because they're doing a fine job running it, but they don't have the financial statements that we need to understand their business and their ability to repay. Again, that's when the MBDA comes in. We need their help to prepare some of those entrepreneurs so they can be successful in accessing bank credit. You asked about programs and services. So our bankers spend a lot of time providing technical assistance. And it's something as informal as pulling someone's credit report and helping the, the, the customer, whether it's individual or a business owner, what's going on with their credit. We find everything from a, a small medical bill that has gone unpaid that's hurting them unnecessarily, that they could pay off just like this. We find errors on their credit report. We find other issues that may not be even aware, may not be... May not be um, Pointed out to them. So that's the basic technical assistance we can provide. But then we also spend a lot of time helping them understand their own business from a credit perspective and then structuring the appropriate financing package. Um, the smaller the business is and then less seasoned the businesses, the more time we spent. That's why a lot of mainstream banks don't do small business loans, because they're more difficult and more expensive to do. Than a $10 million Hmm. large loan. Mm -hmm. And as the old saying goes, it's not my saying, you know, if you need to borrow $100,000, you may not be qualified. If you need to borrow $100 million, you're qualified. (laughs) Because if you're borrowing $100 million, that means you borrowed some money before. That means you have the resources, you have the CPAs, you have the lawyers, you have the capacity. So, what does that do to America? if as as a country who gets the most attention it's the large successful businesses that have been around but those that have the greatest potential to build wealth in America they're at the base of the pyramid those are the micro businesses small businesses that's where most wealth gets created but that segment of the population gets also the least attention that's our mission our mission is to work with that those businesses and those customers that are at the bottom you know Maybe quartile yeah. all of the socioeconomic ladder because they have the greatest potential. Mm-hmm.
0: Fascinating! I am learning
1: a lot. Um,
0: you just recently won or were awarded the bank was awarded the Robert J. Brown Minority Business Enterprise of the Year Award. Tell me how did how did that feel?
1: Well, first. Um, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed that that, <laughs> that you said that I wanted, <laughs> the bank I, I'm money. a tool, <laughs> right. I, I'm at service of the bank and of our communities and so truly, um, you know, tr- truly it's a, it's a real honor and uh, I guess part of that, um, I'll, I'll give you a reaction when I was at the uh, award ceremony <laughs> and I was st- sitting backstage and talking with the other awardees of different types of awards. There was so much talent in that room. I, I, not because I didn't expect it. I expected it. What I didn't expect is the diversity and the horsepower in that room. The businesses with everything from medical companies to science companies to doing innovative work. Um, I just, I was so, that's when I became really humbled. I felt like we didn't belong. Mm-hmm. I felt like our little bank doesn't all belong in that in that room because every one of those businesses that were award winners, and also the other businesses, minority businesses in the room that you talk to, they're doing amazing work. And when you see that whole room with hundreds or even thousand people that are doing amazing, really innovative, um, productive work, that's when it hit me. You know. This is something amazing that was gifted to Optus Bank. This recognition to be in this room with these businesses that are transforming their communities um, you know, is something that uh, was a humbling moment. So I was, I was surprised once I realized that. Um, but also I became just grateful for the opportunity. I, I don't think there have been many banks or any banks that had won that award before. And so so to be recognized nationally for the work that we've been doing in our communities all across the country, and as small as we are, we're maybe bigger than we were, but we're only $500 million roughly in assets. In the banking world, that's still the bottom 10%, Right. (laughs) right? So we're not anywhere. But our impact goes way beyond that. And so that's another thing I became aware of. Our influence, our impact, and the story of Optus Bank and the way I got comfortable telling that story is I realized this is not about me or our board or Paul or even our team this is about everyone pulling their resources this is about our community our customers our employees our board members our shareholders all pulling their resources kind of aligning them to have this story to be told that look you can have a minority bank you can not have a community bank today in America that is very strong, very profitable, very growing, but more importantly, that is deploying capital into places that others deemed to be unworthy of their capital. And that's what that award means to me.
0: Thank you for that, Dom. Um, before I let you go, what are some things that the community
1: can do to support you guys? We've gotten amazing support. We've received great support from um, other banks, from policymakers, from local businesses. Um, I, I think there is this only one thing that we're missing today. I'll say just generally as we look out into the future of mission-driven banks, including Optus Bank, is we've seen a massive shift in the funding that drives our ability to generate credit. right? Our ability to create impact is primarily driven by our ability to generate deposits. And so, you know, the, the I think the future of mission-driven banks and minority banks is going to be largely dependent on their ability to attract depositors. So what can the community do? I would encourage every person in the community that has banking relationship to think about where does their money spend the night. Is it working for you or is it working against you? Uh, Banking and banking services are viewed as a commodity. You gotta have a bank account if you wanna pay bills, if you wanna receive payments, if you wanna have some safety in your financial life, you need to have a bank. But banking is, is not a commodity because, as we've been able to demonstrate at Optus Bank, where your money spends the night does drive your community impact because we know that over 90% of this bank's loans are being revolved in underserved communities. So imagine if every bank in the country, or let's just say 10%, were investing and reinvesting their customers' deposits in underserved communities. What would this country look like? So what I would like to ask our communities to do is ask the, have them ask the questions. Can I do more with my money that's sitting at a bank somewhere that I don't see, I don't know what the money is doing, can I make that money work for me? And one way to, to make that money work for you is look for a, a minority bank. Look for a community development, community development bank. We'd love for it to be Optus Bank, but there are others that are doing just as good of work as we're doing. Dom, thank you for taking time to sit down with me. My pleasure. A real, real pleasure visiting with you.